0: Welcome to the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Here's your host, Cliff Ravenscraft. I forgot how to operate this thing. It's been far too long since I recorded an episode. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. That's the slider I was looking for. I have rearranged things in the studio and I haven't quite yet got the muscle memory going. Today... (laughs) I'm going to bring back my friend Ray Edwards. It was just two episodes ago that I had the opportunity to connect with Ray, and we are now closer to a very important day in his life and potentially yours as Ray is getting ready to release his next book out into the world, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, and more importantly, we're going to talk about the essence of this book and the, the concepts that are in it, because this is a book that I believe is near and dear to my heart because Ray shares so authentically and so transparently things that are a part of many people's entrepreneurial journeys that I don't believe enough people are willing to talk about publicly. It's about all that behind-the-scenes stuff when things don't go the way that you hope that they could or should, or maybe things go a little bit off the rails at times. And uh, and I happen to know that I'm a very authentic person. I talk about the things that are going on in my life very transparently, even more, by the way, over at trainwithcliff.com. If you haven't checked out the Train With Cliff Audio Journal, you should def- definitely check that out. But uh Ray has been very authentic in his own content that he creates through his Ray Edwards podcast, I would encourage the Ray Edwards show, I should say, over at rayedwards.com, encourage you to check it out. But he's written this book it's titled Read This or Die. And we're going to talk about it because I have read the introduction, I've read the first chapter and that's all I've read so far. But I had to text my friend Ray after this, reading the first chapter, and I'm like, "Dude, are you experiencing a vulnerability hangover by any chance?" So, Ray, welcome to the show. How are you, brother?
1: Thank you. I am. I'm so glad to be here. I'm honored you'd ask me back again. Um, And uh, how am I? I'm experiencing the the last tastes of a vulnerability hangover. I am. I'm fantastic. It's, it's the best day of my life, and every day it gets a little bit better.
0: I, I love that attitude.
1: Yes, I love that attitude too. I've heard you say that so many times, and I had, I, had, I had a relationship with that phrase. At first it annoyed me, then it bothered me, then I asked you about it, then I processed it, and I realized, what other system would I adopt for living my life? Other than that, I can't think of a better way to live life.
0: Yeah. So. You, you know, our mutual friend Michael Stelsner had for the last eight years had given me a very hard time about this statement. You know, I yeah. how you doing, Cliff? Never been better, gets better every minute of the day. It's like, oh, that can't be true, blah, blah, blah. And every time I explain it to him. And I was going through some old content in the archives of my old podcast network, generally speaking. I found an episode of a podcast called The Community Voice. It was about 15, 16 years ago, this episode. It was a community show where people all over the world had dialed in live and we were just having a chat about you know what's going on in our, com- our online community around the, the content that we create and somebody said hey, so cliff how are you doing and i was shocked to learn that it was you know 15 16 years ago i was already back then saying never been better It gets better every single minute of the day how how has this been going on for over 15 years of my life but
1: well i think it explains many of the good things that have happened to you over the last 15 years it played a part and i've adopted it as well and then you and i have talked about it i mean on days where i can't authentically say those words that I feel out of integrity saying them, I will say, I'm really, really good.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I have had some people say, is there ever a time when you don't say that? And I'm like, yeah, in in the moment, if I'm not consciously aware of its reality which by the way looking back in hindsight it's always been a reality and we could go into details about that but that's not that's not the nature of this particular podcast episode instead of going down this entire rabbit trail about how all of our lives have never been better and it gets better every single minute of the day and however much that might even be triggering you to even hear such a thing um we're going to we're just going to come off of that trail we're going to come back to the main purpose ray tell me what is this book read this or die.
1: Well, the key to the book is in the subtitle, which is persuading yourself to a better life. And the book is about how I reached a point in my life because I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease where I was faced with a choice of accepting the prognosis, which was given to me, which was, it's not going to be good. Your life's only going to get worse. You're in in for more suffering. And I lived it. I, it got worse and worse and worse. And I reached a point where it was so bad. I tell a story in the book. I was, I considered taking my own life. It was, I just couldn't. Depression has been defined as the inability to construct a hopeful future. And that's where I found myself. And, uh, What stopped me from taking my own life? It was thinking about the fact that it would... It would have ended my pain, but it would have created so much pain for It would have created so much pain for people that I love. I just couldn't do that. That was within my power to control. And that was a thought that I had in those very dark hours, in the middle of the night, when I was contemplating that, that exit strategy. And I realized, okay, here's something that's still within my control the level of suffering i inflict on other people and as I, as i thought about it through the night that night into the hours of dawn i thought well of course it would it would wreck my wife's life my son's life my my friends lives but also even though i i don't consider myself to be a big influencer i do have I have more influence online than the average person. Uh, there are many thousands of people who follow me, who send me. I get lots of emails. I know you You get the same privilege, Cliff. I get lots of emails from people saying, your content changed my life. Your content saved my life. Your content kept me from wrecking my marriage or from killing myself. Or your content just helped me get through the day. Makes me happier. I thought all those people are going to be affected if I do this. All those people are going to be affected negatively by a choice that I can make. So I chose to make a different choice. And then I began to think about, okay, so I've got some reasons to stay alive. Now, how then shall we live? Thank you, Chuck Colson. Um this is the question I began to answer, and I, I did, I thought through everything I'd been through. Cliff, you, you've been along with me on this journey for since the beginning. I went to doctors and scientists and faith healers, and I, I tried everything to get rid of Parkinson's. I was convinced I could do that. I, I went to crystal healers and Reiki therapists. I know some people are gasping right now in shock and horror, but I did. And none of it was working. I went to self-help seminars. I went to motivational speakers. I read the books. I went back and listened to the old recordings. None of it was helping. But then I realized one day, you know, I have a skill that's been my profession, writing copy, writing marketing campaigns, convincing people to do things they didn't want to do at first, but it was in their best interest to do them. And I have a framework I use to do that, the pastor framework. And I realized that's based on psychological principles of changing thinking which changes feelings, which changes behaviors, which changes outcomes, which comes back to influence our thinking and our feelings. And I thought I should use those skills that have worked so well for other, helping other people make a good decision. I use those skills on myself. So I wrote myself a sales letter. And the, the headline of the sales letter was, Read This or Die. That The book is about that. It's about me using those psychological, those neuro psychological principles to change my own thinking about my life, change my behavior, change the the quality and content of my life. And that happened. And despite the fact that Parkinson's continued to get worse. But there's a missing chapter for the book. We can talk about that a little bit later, perhaps, because of the skills and the outcomes I was able to produce. I was able to make some new choices, and guess what? Even the Parkinson's is better.
0: So- oh, that so that's the missing chapter is how the par- Parkinson's is, is actually been the the clock has been turned back, if you will, several yes. years.
1: Yeah, I still have it. It's still a problem, but it's so much better. And it wouldn't have been if I hadn't changed my. My mindset to begin with. So we can go into that a little bit later, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves.
0: Absolutely. You know, as I shared earlier, I have an advanced copy of this. But by the way, just real quickly, when does the book release?
1: May twenty
0: three. Okay. Tuesday, May
1: twenty
0: three. Tuesday, May twenty third. You can go over to Amazon right now and grab your copy, pre ordered if you will. I know I've got my copy pre ordered over on Amazon. Uh, May Tuesday, May 23rd, but they could probably also go to your website and get some free resources if I know Ray Edwards.
1: Yes, you can go to readthisordiebook.com. And uh, yes, you can get some free bonuses that go along with your just buying a book.
0: Yep. So I, I definitely encourage you to do that. Go over to readthisordiebook.com. And it, of course, I'm sure it still has the links to Amazon, but you'll want to make sure you put your name and email address in there and and uh, get the extra resources and stuff like that. And if Ray emails you too much, he's not going to be too hurt if you actually unsubscribe from his list. Uh,
1: no, I won't be too hurt. But I will call <laughs> you and ask you what. What are you thinking?
0: Uh, no, I won't. I won't he's do called that. me like five times to ask me what. Why? So this, why, why do you, you, I keep?
1: Do you... I keep resubscribing you because I'm sure you made a mistake when you. <laughs> so one thing I'm excited about, I haven't even heard this yet, but I'm excited about the audio book because. Uh, The publisher had actually hired somebody else to read the audio, and I just saw on the website listing, it said, listen to a sample. I'm like, well, this is interesting because I've never recorded it. How'd they get that? I listened, and I heard the person they had chosen, and I, I suddenly became a prima donna author and said, no, you cannot do this. So I actually read the book for them myself, which was a chore and a half, but I haven't heard it. I hear it's, I've been told it's good, so... Get the audio version
0: too. I know know the guy who read it. He did a good job. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, somewhere in the first chapter, it says this. By the way, I'm going to go off of a Notion document throughout our conversation. I have highlighted things that I felt were meaningful to me as I was reading through not planning to do use this for our conversation to promote the book here in the podcast episode, but just these are the highlights that I'd want to go back and, and just either think about, ponder, or even use as journal prompts for myself. But I'm thinking, hmm, why don't I just randomly pull some of these quotes out in our conversation uh, for the podcast? So I'm going to randomly do that Now, one of the quotes that I wrote or highlighted was simply about what is this book? And it says very clear in a statement, this book is about changing your life by changing the way you see the world. Now, you know, I'm a huge fan of mindset shifts about changing our perspective, changing our beliefs. There's so much about that in this book. And I love that. And one of the things that I remember listening to you back in the early days of. Let's go all the way back to 2013. It was, it was <sighs> we were in, I think the dou- just the double digits of the Ray Edwards show back then. Yeah, and I recall. A very confident Ray Edwards who once boldly proclaimed, listen, this is why it's essential that you put your health and fitness first because if you don't have your health, you don't have anything.
1: God forgive me.
0: God forgive me. Uh, God forgive me. Uh,
1: that's That's one of the dumbest things. There's many dumb things I've said. That's one of the many dumb things I have said. It's one. Of the, let me let me rephrase that. That's one of the many instances where I have evidence to see I'm not always as right as I think I am. Uh, and that's good because it means I can learn. Becoming a person who doesn't have his health, I, well, I do have my health. I have my health as it is. And when we say if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. What we typically mean, this is my hallucination to what most people mean when they say that, because it's what I meant. If you have any illness that impinges upon your lifestyle, now you have nothing. Well, that's ridiculous. I'm somebody who has, by that definition from back in 2013, by that definition, I, have, I don't have anything. But yet, I still have everything. So clearly I was wrong in that very confident statement that I made back then, I would say in my humble, but accurate opinion.
0: I remember that statement as well. I love that. Now
1: I, now I just say in my humble opinion, which is often wrong. Um, look, whatever your health is, you have it. If you have massive heart conditions, if you have cancer, if you've lost all your limbs, if you're paralyzed, if you can't walk, whatever problems you have with your health, you still have everything. You have everything to live for. You have every Everything you can read, everything you can watch, listen to, the people you can interact with, things you can do that contribute to the world, things you can do that are fun, that are interesting, no matter how bad it gets, you still have access to everything. But it's kind of, I think i think of life sometimes as like a a checking account, and we have the debit card. We can stop at the ATM anytime we want and withdraw some things and use them, make use of them. But you can have a checking account with a billion dollars in it and if you don't ever go to the atm and pull anything out of the account that's sad because you have so much resources available to you that's so i repent anybody who ever heard me say if you don't have your health you don't have anything and it hurt you i repent
0: well there's another quote that is a one liner that I had to go digging for, and I'm thrilled that you you spoke for as long as you did. Thank you. Uh, So the next line that I wanted to pull out in conjunction with that one is, the sign of a mature person, I think, is not that they believe the same things their whole lives.
1: Yes, I think that seems to me to be the sign of a person who hasn't learned anything, who hasn't Made any new distinctions, who hasn't done very much, who hasn't been challenged, who hasn't grown much. I won't say you haven't grown, but um, Emerson said, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds. Hmm. That was true for me because I thought consistency of belief proved the accuracy of belief. That is incorrect.
0: I used to have that belief as well. That it's like listen, the more the more I adhere to what I know to be true, <laughs> the, the more true it is or something. It's like what is this? It's like because I because it was confer- because the source of the information I from which I received this truth is so credible, it has to be right. I've adopted it As a full on belief and this belief, everything that's a belief in my system, it wouldn't be such a a whole body gut felt belief if it weren't true. That's how I used to think. And, And it was, I think I was in my early 40s. When Tony Robbins, I was actually driving down 275 right between Mineola Pike and the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky Airport exit. I know exactly where I was. You know how when you're listening to audio, you can track what you heard to a specific location where you were at the time. I know exactly where I was on the highway when Tony Robbins, I heard him say for the first time, a belief is nothing more than a thought that you feel certain is true. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And you're like, what? What? That was my response when I heard him say that. I was like, wait a minute. That's not right. But it makes sense. Oh, I guess that is right. As far as I know.
0: Well, I I know I it, it caused me to start going in and pondering. Well, let me take a look at all of my beliefs and are yeah. there are there any of them that aren't true? And then as soon as I asked that question, the answer my subconscious mind served up was, and, and it says this every now and then. Duh. <laughs> how how many times have you uh, consciously found that? Wow, I once believed this. Not only did I believe it. But back in my most zealous days, I used to stand behind a pulpit where I had credibility and authority in my mind. uh, And and everyone looked up to me and I boldly proclaimed that truth, a.k.a. truth, to them. (laughs) And today, I purposely do not make my sermons that I preached 22 years ago Publicly available anywhere on the internet today, because so much of that stuff I don't believe today. Yeah.
1: Um, well, the original title of this book was actually "Your Beliefs Aren't Working," hmm. and that that was the premise from which we started. And actually, the current title comes from a another copywriter who is a friend of mine. He has moved on to the next plane of existence. In other words, he died. And he, one of his greatest pieces was a piece he wrote and it had the headline, read this or die. And it was selling a health product. And uh, it's one of the most successful pieces of direct response copy ever written. So I borrowed his title um, for a different purpose, but it was something that I was talking with my co-writer on the book, Jeff Goins, mutual friend of ours. And he said, wait, what? I said, yeah, it was called read this or die. And he said, that's the title of the book. And that's when the whole thing snapped into focus and really came together. So we realized that was the, the title of the book. Because the idea is read this or die, grabs your attention. Then we want to take a look at, in the book, you, you, you watch, you get to go along in the story with me as I examine my beliefs and begin pulling them apart because they weren't working. And so I was in a lot of pain. Maybe this sounds familiar. You might know somebody who is currently going through things in their life that are painful. And this somebody that you know might be trying to fix it using all the tools they've believed in all their lives and be discovering this is not working. I don't know what to do. Welcome to the next level of reality where you begin to realize, maybe I need to reexamine Some of these things I've been believing because your life can become better.
0: Yeah. I'm going to read the next quote from my list here. You said, I believe everything you need to transform your life is available to you right now. You just need to learn to use the tools already at your disposal. Few people make these changes in their lives, not because they don't want to, but because they lack the understanding How do you make these changes? With words. You sell yourself on what's possible by beginning with what's intolerable. You convince yourself that you need to change, and then you do. Any thoughts on that, Ray?
1: Yeah. uh, Something else our friend Tony says is uh, people don't change change because they want to they change because they have to and when your shoulds become musts is another way he expresses it is when you're ready to make a change cuz i can sit around and say i should i should eat better i should get more sleep i should be more present with my family but none of that will happen until you change that should to a must i must eat healthy i must be present with my family I must, because that's who I am. That comes back to your identity, which really your identity is the filter, I believe, through which you see the world. So the way you see the world refines and helps you form your self-identity, and that's how you're going to experience life. We experience life not as it is, but as we are.
0: Yep. Yep you said also right before you get to your best life you have to face all the beliefs that created the one you're living now what what would you recommend i mean and i know that the book gives a a template for this because you've told me about what's in the rest of the book Mm -hmm. but what tools will people find and what exercises will they be encouraged to do to become aware and make note of the beliefs that they have that are currently providing in the experience of life they're currently have, you know, having in their reality right now. And, and what, what tools are you going to give them for writing their, maybe their own sales letter to create this new possibility?
1: Well, that, yeah, let's, I'll walk through that real quickly. And then I, um, I love the idea of just continuing the discussion of the content. I mean, the, obviously I want you to get the book, I hope, you'll, I hope it'll help you. And I believe it will. We've we've outlined throughout each chapter of the book we have the steps you take that relate to that chapter about what to do, how to have a writing exercise. So by the time you finish, you've walked through the entire PASTOR framework, which is P stands for person, problem, pain. You know yourself. Maybe not as well as you think you do, but you define your problem. You define the pain as you experience it. Then you go to the A of pastor, which is amplify the consequences of not solving the problem because we like to pretend the problem is going to go away or that it doesn't exist. And often that's not the case. It does exist and it won't go away unless you do something about it. So we amplify. What if I just do nothing? What if I just keep doing what I've been doing? Where will I end up? Where will I be in one year and three years and five years? You, You look at, Because you can predict it, you know, probably with a fairly frightening high degree of accuracy where it's going to lead you. And then once you've seen as bad as it could get, as much as you could imagine, then you write about your aspiration. What would you like it to look like instead? Then we get into coming up with the solution, the struggles you may go through. We move on to the transformation that could be made. I begin encouraging you in the book to look for evidence that there is a solution to your problem. Look for people who solved it. I went looking for people who had been diagnosed with Parkinson's and either had seen a remission, which is not an official medical term. There's no remission from Parkinson's yet. I know people who had it and now they don't. Hmm. Something to think about. You look for people who maybe still have the problem, but have learned how to live well with it, because that that works too. That's that's unusual. It's still rare, but it's available to all of us. It's like when I was reading Victor Frankel's book, *Man's Search for Meaning*. Um, something became clear to me, which has become clear to anybody who's read the book: is if your philosophy of life, your approach to life, doesn't work in a concentration camp, it doesn't work. It has to work when everything can be taken away from you and you can still find peace and you can still find hope. You can still find joy and you can no matter how tough things get. This is the thing that, that breaks my heart and keeps me moving forward in, in this endeavor to get this message out to as many people as possible. And to communicate with as many people as I can, you're probably suffering a lot, and you don't need to. It's not necessary. As has been said by smarter people than me, maybe, maybe not. Wiser, maybe, maybe not. That's not the point. The point is, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional.
0: It, it, let's break that down for a minute, because I, I know I, I've I've delved deep into the deep philosophical expression of that phrase, and, and I believe it to be true, but I would imagine if I heard this conversation between you and I, Ray, let's just say 10 years ago, that whole idea, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional— Ten years, five, ten years, well, five years ago, maybe. Ten years ago, definitely would not have understood that. What, can you, how how would you describe that in your words?
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Because when I first heard it, it pissed me off. Which is, there's a Bible verse that says, the truth shall set you free, but first it shall piss you off. That's not exactly what it says, but I think that's what he meant. Um, Because it challenged my worldview. And when the first person said to me, well, I know you have Parkinson's. I know it's tough, but how is it a blessing? How can you use it to be happy and to not suffer? And it really made me angry. It's like, how can you say that? I'll trade you. Let me give you my blessing and see how you like it. That was me being super childish, which I'm very able to do at a moment's notice. But I think pain is, is something that happens. It's part of life. It is inevitable we're going to have pain, which is an acute, momentary, a light and momentary affliction. And um, suffering is a state. It's a state of mind we get into and we, we choose to be in it and we can choose to be out of it. And that makes people upset as well. It made me upset. I thought, I didn't choose to get this disease. And I realized one day that's not what the person was saying. They said you have the disease. How can you find joy and peace? What is the gift inside of it? And I began really asking myself those questions. I realized my my other than conscious mind or my subconscious mind is the voice, my voice that talks to me in my head when I said, what's the blessing in Parkinson's? I said, there's no <laughs> blessing in Parkinson's. Oh, I forgot which podcast I'm on. No blessing. And then I began... Asking the next question I ask habitually now, which is, okay, so there's no blessing. What if there was? What would it be? Well, at least I can understand other people's suffering. Hmm. A little better. I can have some empathy now. Because I used to get frustrated at people who were in front of me. At the grocery store, we're taking a... a little longer to pay than normal because maybe their hands are shakier. They're just older, moving more slowly. So having having now often been that person, <laughs> I realized, oh man, I was such a, a misinformed human. Um, so, Empathy, there's a gift in Parkinson's. Patience, there's a gift. Um, increased resiliency, there's a gift. In stre- increased strength in the face of adversity, that's a gift. Increased credibility to speak to certain people who would not listen to me before because they thought, I can't understand where they're coming from. Now they know I do understand where they're coming from. Increased resourcefulness, increased self-emotional discipline control over modulating my emotional state. I mean, I was, here's the irony. Parkinson's brings with it things like, I mean, symptoms of the the disease, depression, anxiety, um, inability to to regulate one's emotions. I was, I'm better at it now than I was before I had it. Because before I had it, I was completely undisciplined, untrained and uninterested in becoming either of those things. And as I began to see Parkinson's doing its thing that it does on my body and my brain, I realized I got to get these things under control. So those are just a few of the many gifts that have come out of the adversity. And to me, that's the proof that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. We can always choose to be in a beautiful state of mind
0: and heart. Yeah. And as I'm hearing you say that, and, and, and some things that have come to my mind is, Oftentimes, I think of pain as being something that is physical, whereas suffering is emotional. Um, and not only emotional. I mean, there, there, there is emotional pain uh, that is also suffering as well. Uh, so I, I, that's not a clear distinction. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is in the midst of the most painful, whether it be physically or emotionally, s- situation, there is the ability to not suffer endlessly about the the hyper-focus of that. One of the things that I know you and I both study a lot is the idea, the concept of focus and our attention and our awareness. (laughs) And wherever our attention goes, uh, energy flows. And whatever we focus on amplifies. So we become more keenly aware of that. So if there is pain in our body physically, or if there is emotional pain that's coming up as a result of a a specific mental image of our past or current scenario or um, thoughts about some perceived potential negative outcome that's coming in the future, if we focus on that over and over again, that focus is going to amplify that, that, that pain, if you will, if we focus on that part of the body and its thing. But what got me was this whole understanding of uh, what is anesthesia. And then when I began studying hypnosis and hypnosis by the way is not too dissimilar from what I've learned from meditation you know Eastern uh, meditation type of stuff. And so once you start to still the brain waves, slow down the thinking if you will, slow down the focused attention, on the physical five senses or the mental images that are rushing through your head like rushing rivers, if you could be still and know that he is God, you might find that, wow, peace can come. And actually, not necessarily that peace comes. Peace is revealed, is, is the way that I would say it.
1: Yeah, because it's always there. It's always available.
0: So, I'm going to read—this leads us perfectly into the next quote I want to read from your book. When people talk about quote-unquote letting go, I used to think they met some noble and heroic shedding of a core piece of your identity. I thought this would require effort. Now I understand the act of letting go to be quite natural— Like trying to walk upstream for hours only to lie back and let your body float with the water. You don't do anything. In fact, you simply stop fighting the way things are.
1: Yeah. Uh, A dear friend of mine once said, Don't let your heart be troubled. And I discovered in the process of walking through all this that most of my suffering came from me letting my heart be troubled about how things were and how they needed to change. Notice I didn't say how I was and how I needed to change. My trouble came from fighting the, the way things were, circumstances, the world around me, because When I'm thinking from that place, now I'm giving the power to inflict suffering on me to everything around me. When I let go of fighting reality, that's the beginning for me of changing the quality of my life. Um, Byron Katie says, when you fight against reality, you only lose 100% of the time. Hmm. So... I, You know, I I get a lot of pushback on this because I tell people, well, first, start by accepting how things are. And uh, especially a lot of my my more um, fundamentalist, believing Christian friends would tell me, you can't accept this diagnosis because if you do, you're endorsing the work of the enemy. Well, thanks for loading that heaping pile of shame and, Guilt and condemnation on me. What, what has happened to you? Oh, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you with this nonsense? It's through grace, which is unmerited favor given to us by God. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We just, it's ours. It's just available to us. It doesn't require fighting or effort or penance or suffering or it's just letting go yeah it's not difficult to do
0: you know i was thinking about that statement the whole idea of letting go and stop resisting what is and that and of course i may use language that may not be very familiar to everyone uh, but the whole ego identity of me says but wait a second if you let go and stop resisting what is, how do I get what I want? What I See, there's a reason why I've been walking upstream for the last four hours. Because I want to be upstream. If I just let go, I'm not getting upstream. How do I get what I want, Ray? What have you have you found that that the sweet spot of balancing those two philosophies of I still have a clear picture of what I want and I still have hope for this future and and stuff like that. How, how does one let go float on the back and go downstream when the desired outcome of your personality and and what you want to achieve and what you want to accomplish in this world is is up the other direction.
1: Maybe, I don't have one definitive formulaic answer other than to say, maybe you're asking the wrong questions. Maybe it's not fight against the stream or go with the stream. Maybe it's get out of the stream and walk on the bank and go the direction you want to go. Maybe there's a horse waiting for you there or a car or a magic carpet. I don't know. Maybe what you want is creating the suffering and it's not going to be good for you. It's not going to give you what you're hoping It'll give you, you think you're gonna be happy if I get this thing and maybe you won't really be happy. Maybe if you didn't want it, you'd be happy. You'd be content. It just float down the stream. There's, I, I, I know that my experience thus far, so started, started down this road has been that when I'm suffering, the first thing I do is I ask, why am I suffering? What's causing my suffering? And so far without fail, it's been the way I'm looking at what's happening, the way I'm examining the pain, the way I'm responding to it. It's not the the actual thing that's causing me the pain that's causing my suffering. It's how I look at it, how I perceive it, how I process it, how I think about it in language. We think in language, whether we believe that or not, we do. We have words that form in our head around concepts, around things we imagine or think about. And so that goes back to focus like you were talking about earlier. What we focus on, where focus goes, energy flows. So I focus on my suffering. I get more suffering. That hurts more. I suffer some more. I'm in an endless loop. Maybe just relax and step out of the loop. Focus on something else.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I want to point out that would be a valuable question and a great journal prompt for anybody who's suffering um, and, and it's, what would I have to believe for me mm-hmm. to feel this way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would <laughs> I, ha- what would I have to believe for me to feel what I'm feeling inside?
1: Yeah, that's if any of these kinds of exercises that you do where you write answers to prompts like that, for me, what I had to do is I had finally had to figure out that it wouldn't work for me at first. I, I would write to, my answer to the, to the prompt in my journal. And I'd be like, well, this doesn't help me. It didn't help me because I was editing what I was writing. I was editing my answer because I, I wanted it to look good. I want, in case somebody else read it, I wanted them to see me in a certain way. I had to reach a point where I, this is why I told myself, I'm going to burn this after I write it. I'm going to write the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and oh boy, when, when you start being honest about what's really in your head, what you're really thinking It's embarrassing. It was embarrassing for me. It's like, I can't believe that is in my head. I can't believe that's what I believe. That's why it's so valuable. When you write what's really there, what you really have in your heart and you get it out on paper and you can look at it. Often I don't have to do any work. I'm just like, well, that's a load of crap. I don't believe that. And it's done.
0: Yeah. You know, if, if, Anybody were to ever ask me, Cliff, why don't you, do you ever see yourself maybe getting involved in the political scene to maybe create positive change in the world? And the answer to that question, absolutely not. It will never happen. And the reason why, Ray, is because early on in our marriage, probably right around, it might have been our fourth or fifth wedding anniversary, Stephanie and I had a... Uh, A tradition that we would bring our journals, our handwritten physical journals with us, Mm. and we would write down all of our goals that we have for the next year, but only after we reviewed what our goals were last year during our anniversary and Mm. and give an account for how things have gone. And so um, we were out at the uh, Cheesecake Factory, and I went to the bathroom and uh, set my journal down. And then afterwards, went back to the dinner table. We had our meal. It was amazing. It's time to do our goal review from the last year. And uh, Stephanie pulls out her journal. I look down and I'm like, oh, where's my journal? I left it in the bathroom. Well, guess what wasn't in the bathroom when I went back to go look for it? Oh, no. It was a leather-bound journal. That if you open up the front cover, says this belongs to Cliff Ravenscraft at this address, this email, this phone number. The every word that has been handwritten into this book belongs to this guy. And, um, let's just say that there was some very honest words written in that book. And I just happen to know I, I've, you know, I called like every day for weeks. Ah, uh, to see if anybody had returned it at the mall, at the thing, and all of a sudden, nope. I, I just know somebody out there is waiting to cash in on this thing.
1: Well, I bet that somebody's in for a surprise because when when you when you step in when you stepped into a state where you don't care what they do with that information, yeah, you lose this value. But that's 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 the kind of honesty we're talking about. Writing so honestly that you would freak out. Uh, to say somebody else is going to read it. So I just had to, I'm the kind of, I was the kind of paranoid guy who thought if somebody finds this, I'll be ruined. <laughs> really? Really? No, I think not. I think, I think we worry far too much about what other people think of us. And we know far too little about ourselves. I'll say it about myself. I knew I knew and know far too little about myself to get too worked up over anything. And when I get too worked up over anything, at least now I have... used to be I could get worked up over something and be messed up for weeks. By messed up, I mean anxious, depressed, paranoid, angry, bitter. By turns, I switch for variety. In case you got tired of my depressed, Ray, I can give you my bitter, unforgiving, Ray. <laughs> or whatever I had on tap for that day. But when I decided, okay... I'm going to write the absolute truth of what I'm thinking and feeling. Uh, it's it's like um, it's like magic. It, it has cleaned it out of my heart. In any case, where I kept digging until I just couldn't find any more thoughts about that subject. Just try it. Yeah. Prove to yourself if it works, because I think it will.
0: And by the way, there's journals that I saw at Barnes and Noble that have lots of prompts in them, and you just write in them. And it says, uh, "Burn after writing." (laughs) I did that for a while. I literally, literally, literally would burn
1: those daily notes I was taking, and then I, I got tired of burning it. I set off the fire alarm a time or two. (laughs) That's true. So um, I stopped burning them.
0: I want to go ahead. I want to read one more quote here. And uh, maybe we'll slowly wrap up with this one. Earnestly believing that Parkinson's would not last forever in spite of the evidence, I knew there was something better waiting for me. This is the problem with a belief. It can guide you toward the change you want, but it can also hold you back from the life available to you now. As my belief was doing, frustrated with my increasingly worsening condition, I attended all of the healing events that I could find. And then a little bit later, you said, the idea of a better life later, later, some magical healing in the future eroded the possibility of a good life now.
1: This... um. I mean, it's, it's been said that worrying doesn't solve your problem tomorrow. It only robs today to of its joy. And that, I believe, that seems to me to be true. It feels really true. Um, I refuse to play the game of worrying about tomorrow. Now, none of this means that I have 100% in my human personality mastered all these things. But I've I've gotten so much better and so much happier and so much more at peace and have so much more joy since I began practicing this refusal to worry. And, um, I mean, people ask me, don't you ever have bad days? Because... I know that must be tough. Yes, I I have, I have difficult moments. Now, it's my choice whether I want to make it a bad day or a bad afternoon or a bad hour or a bad few minutes. And I feel, if I can offer one encouragement to anybody, it's that, well, you can shorten the gap between when you start feeling like you're suffering, because you are, and you realize suffering is something I'm doing to myself, so... What do I need to change about how I'm thinking, about how I see the world that could possibly eliminate the suffering I can feel at peace? And some people get nervous about that. They think you're in denial. Yes, I'm in denial. Anger, prolonged anxiety, prolonged depression, prolonged rumination on negative outcomes and thought. I deny those things access to my mind. I fill my mind with things that are pure, that are good, that are wholesome, that are true, that are joyful. And it doesn't mean I don't have moments where I, I am angry or i become upset. I won't, I'm not, I won't say I am angry, because I'm not. That's not who I am. You
0: experience anger within experience the body. I experience
1: anger within my body. I experience depression or anxiety within my body. And then, you, you, hopefully, I have found some tools that help me get the, those feelings out of my body in an appropriately quick amount of time, and get back to peaceful, joyful existence. Because I think being in the right state, this is is what I've concluded. When I'm in a state of peace, of certainty, of joy, of love, of abundance, I'm a better version of me. And I feel better, and I'm happier, and I have access to more of the resources available to me in the entire universe to be able to pull those forces toward me and have them show up when I need them and move forward with my life. And it doesn't mean everything always turns out the way I want it to. I, I think of myself as a pragmatic optimist. I don't believe the best always happens. But I do believe I always have the choice to make the best of whatever does.
0: Ray, I have a couple of questions for you. And I don't even know the answer specifically to these. But how long ago did you finish the book prior to the surgery you most recently had?
1: See, the book was finished in, I guess it was August. So September, October, November. Four months.
0: So th- and this is what I want to point out, especially for those of you who are going to go to readthisordiebook.com and get yourself a copy. Because you might be thinking, well, of course, Ray can write this super encouraging, you know, upbeat, positive thing, because look at how his life has turned out as a result of, you know, this, that, or whatever. But here's the reason why I point this out. When Ray finished this book, he was at, from my perception, and Ray can correct me if I'm incorrect here, from my perception... Ray's Parkinson's was the most advanced it had been and and it was progressively getting worse. And it seemed to me like the worsening of the um, symptoms was progressing quicker and quicker. So much so that um, Ray and I are part of a mastermind group that we've been meeting together for well over a decade. And every single year we would have our annual Green Room Mastermind uh, in-person dinner, and so much so that for the last several years, uh, prior to this year, Ray didn't make it to the meeting. He he had to bow out because it, it had gotten worse. It got to the place where he was no longer to come to the live event where we would typically have this. And not to mention the fact that right around the time this book was written, from my perception, and Ray, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but from my perception, is that you were at a place where sometimes you needed help with the daily routine activities of life. Yeah. And you had, if you were going to be able to work in a given day, from my perception of what you were going through, you had somewhere between one to three hours on the deepest, heaviest effects of a lot of medications. Is Is all of this accurate?
1: 100%. And uh, I also, I had to have someone with me at all times to help me get out of a chair, to get across the room, to drive. Oh, I couldn't drive. To drive me places, to help me get to the bathroom. Um, and I was having seizures. Uh, I mean, my, God bless Aida, my assistant, who helped me through many seizures and kept me from injuring myself. And I, I realized now, probably scared the ever-living crap out of her every time it happened because she didn't know whether I was going to die or not. Um, it was bad. It was as bad as it had been. It was getting worse. It was getting worse faster. It was like I went, I went from having a four-story house with a little fire in the fireplace to it jumped to the curtains in the living room, and the next thing I knew, the whole house was ablaze.
0: And the reason why I point all of this out for everyone is this whole Ray's comment. This was a quote in chapter one of the book, a book that was already complete four months before what we're about ready to tell you. Ray's experiencing these kind of daily routine experiences as he's writing this incredibly profound, upbeat, positive, encouraging book about how great life can be if you're willing to look at life from a different way that you've always looked at it before. So that's that's what I want you to hear. This When Ray says letting go is stop going and treading up the water that you've been going against the currents, just lay back and float and, and see where life takes you and stop resisting, Ray had stopped resisting. And I'd love for you to talk about, you know, just the fact that the, you stopped resisting, you experienced maybe not any less pain, but you alleviated a majority of that suffering that you were putting yourself through. You experienced a lot more peace, love, and joy in the moment each day, which gave you access to creative thought, to Potential hope for different avenues of, of things tell us tell us about some of the changes, the unwritten chapter of this book, if you will.
1: I began getting unsought by me communication from several different people who were adamant about telling me about this procedure they had just had called Deep Brain stimulation Surgery. It 's out of the blue. One of my friends from, i hadn't heard from him for ten years, Frank Garen. Sent me a message through Facebook. So I just had this surgery. I don't know if you know this or not, but I, I got Parkinson's diagnosis about five years ago, had this surgery has changed my life. And this surgery is something I had fought against for years. My, my neuro neurologist had suggested it years ago and I said, no, it's barbaric. It's not, not really proven. There's many cases with horrible outcomes. I'm not going to do it, but because I was in a different place. Where I had stopped resisting, I had—I was experiencing large amounts of peace and joy and love, even though my physical conditions and my pain was worse. Uh, some people ask me, did you, "Did you did you have a lot of pain?" I did. I still have pain every day. I'm pain right now, but it's minimal, and the suffering it causes is causing me right now is zero. I'm not suffering. I'm at peace. I'm filled with joy, love. So I I was open to go and talk to the brain surgeon about the brain surgery. And I talked to him. My wife and I saw him for almost two hours. He spent all that time with us. And toward the end of our interview, he said. He leaned in close and he said, "Ray, do you want your life back?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Let's, let's, let's do this. I can help you." And um, it was still pretty frightening to me. I had to go in and have an MRI um, before, and the MRI went badly. I um, I began fighting the, the techs who were trying to give me the MRI because I had to be anesthetized because I couldn't be still because I have Parkinson's disease. Um, and uh, the MRI machine broke down in the middle of the, of the process. And so I, I, I was hallucinating, thought people were trying to kill me. They so just trying to help me. But that made me nervous about going back in to get the surgery. I talked to my, my coach. Uh, my coach is a brilliant, he's the single best mindset coach I know. And I was telling him about how I was worried because even though this surgery has a 99% success rate, uh, I didn't want to be in the 1%, and I already was in the 1% because only one percent of the park population has Parkinson's, and my coach suggested perhaps I could look at that differently and decide I'm in the 99. percent In fact, maybe I should start filling my mind with those thoughts that I'm in the 99. It's going to be it's going to be successful because I I think I think my coach I'll ask him in a moment I think he knew I was going to do it anyway, and that there's. Uh, once again, I was resisting what was. So, Cliff, I don't know how you remember that conversation, but maybe you can fill in the gaps, make any corrections that
0: need to be made. I, I definitely remember the the idea of uh, the it the what I brought up is the stories we tell ourselves create our reality. Yeah, and and you and I both are are true fans of this idea of the law of attraction and and where that you know how that plays out into our lives and the idea is like yeah there's plenty of evidence to support that you've been in the 1% and all these things but the the thing is is the question is is are you going to want to continue to be in the 1% or would you like to be in this realm of possibility where there's only 1% chance that this could go wrong and and you might just be the one or one of the ninety-nine out of every hundred that this goes incredibly well for, and can you can you start thinking images in your mind of that possibility instead of replaying the the images or the moving picture in your mind, the imagination of how this is going to put you always in this 1%. Are you ready to leave the 1%? I think is the conversation we had.
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I remember. And so I did that. I, I began automatically flushing or denying or not looking at anything that spoke of a negative outcome because of the surgery. I went and sought out success stories on video. I had other people watch them for me first to make sure there's no hidden gotchas in it. That could make me take me down a negative road. I only talked to people about it who were going to be positive about the prognosis of the outcome of the surgery. Anybody who snuck in because I knew them and they started talking to me about negative things, like especially people that are close to me and who love me, my occasion say, well, you know, what if something goes wrong? I stop and say, nothing's going to go wrong. And please don't ever bring that possibility up to me ever again.
0: And I I also want to give a shout out to a mutual friend of ours, uh, Chuck Marting was a dear friend oh, gosh, and who, Chuck. you know, Chuck, Chuck reached out to me. I don't know. Five years ago. And Chuck says, "Hey Cliff, you know, let me tell you about my dad and his Parkinson's, and and let me just tell you about this surgery. And you know, I I don't know if Ray wants to hear about it or anything like this, but just in case, I just would you be willing to tell him that I'm interested in having a conversation about the benefits of DBS and how I believe it could radically change his experience of life? Blah blah blah. And and I said, Chuck, I will be delighted, but I'm going to tell you right now." If he's not open to it right now, just just know that I will always keep it in the back of my mind and I will insert your offer at any point in the future when he may be open to it. So I reached out to you immediately and he's like, yeah, I heard about that, There, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so it was a no-go. And, and then you brought up the possibility of DBS and the fact that it was out there and we were having this conversation. And then finally I said, hey, do you remember that offer of a few years ago, Chuck Marting? If you'd like, I could get the two of you on a call this week. And um, so I I know he's a fan of both of us. And so I just wanted to give Chuck a shout out. Yeah. He played a role in this.
1: He deserved, he played a big role in this. We had a long conversation and he really helped seal the deal for me. It was like, 100%, I'm in. We're going to go. We're going to have a great experience. It's going to work. So I went into the hospital, like talking to all the hospital personnel about how great, what a great day this was, how great it was going to be. Um, the this is a cool story, um, because it seems it seems so unlikely in so many ways. But um, the uh, hospital where I had this done is part of the Providence network. Mm-hmm. It's it's the uh, Sacred Heart hospital is in the sacred heart of Christ. Um, While I was in the hospital having a procedure, they have, it's a Catholic hospital. So they were reading the liturgy of the hours over the speaker system in the, in the hospital. So all these healing scriptural ideas, words are being repeated. And I go into the OR and the anesthesiologist and his assistant were there. And they said to me, I'm, I'm, They've got me all prepped, so I'm shaved and got needles and IV drip and everything going on, all this big, scary equipment around me. And the anesthesiologist leans over and says, heard you had some problems with your MRI. I said, yes. He said, that's not how this is going to go. This is going to go great. This is going to be a positive experience. You're going to come out of here better than you came in. And just say that with me. So they put, put a mask on my face. So I'm got a mask on and I'm like, this is going to be a great day. It's going to change my life. Things are going to get better. And then next thing I know, I was in the recovery room and it did go great. My recovery went great. And I had to wait a month for it to all heal up. because I have two probes that go into my brain. Now I have, you can probably see here in the video yep. where the scars are. Probes go down deep into the base of my brain. Got a wire that goes down my neck to this place. My chest where the the controller is modifies the electromagnetic pulses, the vibrations that are passing through my brain, which quiets the nervous system so that I'm able to to be here and be this still and this stable, which was not possible for me in November of last year. Uh, When I switched it on a month later, the change is instantaneous. There's a video on... TikTok that I posted. It was made on my wife's phone. They turn it on. It's like I suddenly didn't have the disease anymore. Now I still have some symptoms now. It affects my speech a little bit. There's a little, but all these things seem, seem so minor because guess <laughs> guess what emotional state I've, I've been in pretty much continuously since January 12, which is when we turned it on. Gratitude.
0: Mm. Yeah. And you know and and I am I'm so grateful because selfishly I got to see you in March back in San Diego. Uh we had dinner together with the Green Room mastermind. You spoke on stage for 90 minutes. I mean it it's like my friend Ray Edwards from like like 8 years ago is back. You know, it's like, what an incredible gift. And one of the other things I love about this story, Ray, is that video that you posted, it became like a TikTok viral thing. And people were sharing it with everybody they knew who had Parkinson's. And people have since written you letters saying, hey, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have had this surgery. Here are my results. And uh, what an incredible way that that this has all played out, not just for your own benefit, but literally for the benefit of potentially thousands and ultimately down the road, tens of thousands of other people who will hear about this particular option for those who are experiencing Parkinson's.
1: Yeah. I I take any message or phone call or email from anybody who's watched that video, who has questions or has doubts or has somebody in their family who has Parkinson's uh, and I'm, I'll talk to them on the phone. I'll call them at odd hours. I'll email them, whatever. Cause I, I just, I have such a heart for, for those people. And the point of sharing this part of the story is of course, I'm happy about it. I mean, I'm overjoyed. And I don't think it would have happened if I hadn't changed the way I was thinking, the way I saw the world, if I hadn't stopped resisting, if I hadn't got into a place of love, peace, and joy, I never was open to this happening until I got into that state. That's why it's so important,
0: yeah, you could not have overcome your I'm in the one percent that everything goes wrong, mentality, yeah. and sure i'll I'll take the leap of faith and go have this surgery with with the old way of seeing things. And and it is that. And I love I one of the things that I love, and I'll just gonna say it one more time because I think it bears saying, go get this book, read this or die read the entire book, and know that Ray had no idea that what we just told you, this radical, positive, profound health related transformation. He's he's not completely out of the woods, but this has certainly given him back so much of his life, but he was not tied to that. He was not attached to that, and that's the key that I want to point out here.
1: That's 100% true, and whatever happens uh, in the future, I'm I'm good with it. I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to be full of love, full of joy, and that is that's the key to making the most of wherever you are being open being in that state just being in that state I just encourage you to get the book or maybe maybe if you don't get the book you can just think about some of the things you've heard and put them into practice and I my my uh, my my prayer for anybody who's watching or listening is that you would consider the idea you could let go of your suffering and just be happy.
0: I love that. There's there's no other way I want to end this. Just set aside the suffering, choose peace, choose love, choose joy and then go get a book. Read this or die. <laughs> book.com. Until next time, we encourage you to take everything you do to the next level.